This is Steve Carroll, and you're listening to EM Basic Essential Evidence. Today we'll be talking about the two articles that started the treatment of therapeutic hypothermia for patients who survive out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. These two articles were published in the England Journal of Medicine in the same issue in February 2002, and they started the era of cooling patients who come in after cardiac arrest. We'll review both articles and talk about what they mean for our practice in emergency medicine. As always, this podcast doesn't represent the views or opinions of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or the Fort Hood Post Command. The two articles I'll be referencing are titled Mild Therapeutic Hypothermia to Improve the Neurological Outcome After Cardiac Arrest and Treatment of Comatose Survivors of -of Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest. Both studies were published in the New England Journal of Medicine on February 22, 2002, and the full text of both studies is available for free at nejm.org. I'll post links to both articles at embasic.org. So let's talk about these studies. So these were the first two studies that randomized patients who experienced an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest to either normothermia or hypothermia. One study was done in Austria, and the other was done in Australia. Both were multi-center studies, meaning that each study enrolled patients at more than one hospital. This is a strength of the study because it helps even out the effect of treatment differences between different hospitals, instead of focusing on just one center. To be eligible for the study, you had to be an adult who experienced an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, who regained sustained spontaneous circulation, but remained comatose. Also, your initial rhythm for EMS had to be either V-fib or pulseless VTAC, so those patients with asystole or PEA as an initial rhythm were excluded. The European study specified that the cardiac arrest had to be witnessed and not have occurred after the arrival of EMS personnel, while the Australian study did not have this as an exclusion criteria. For the European study, the fact that the cardiac arrest had to be witnessed by someone else may have tilted the odds in favor of overall better outcomes, since patients with witness arrest do much better than those with unwitness arrest. However, since the study excluded patients who arrested in front of EMS providers, this probably balanced that effect out since you would expect those patients to have the best outcomes of all. Other than these minor differences, the two studies had similar inclusion and exclusion criteria. Once we look at the study design, we do see one big difference after the patients made it to the hospital in regards to the length of cooling. In the European study, patients were cooled with forced cool air blankets and ice packs, if needed, down to 32 to 34 degrees Celsius for 24 hours, then passively rewarmed over the next 8 hours. In the Australian study, patients were only cooled with ice packs for 12 hours, followed by 6 hours of active rewarming with forced air heated blankets. To put this into context, the current practice is that we've adopted the European model of cooling for 24 hours instead of 12 hours, but as we will see, it didn't make a big difference in regards to outcomes. In addition to cooling, patients received IV midazolam and paralytics to keep them sedated and to suppress the shivering response that could raise their body temperature. As far as study outcomes, patients were followed to record any differences in complications or mortality, as well as a blinded assessment as to their functional outcomes six months after the arrest. What this means is that a physician that specializes in rehabilitation medicine evaluated each patient without knowing which treatment group they belonged to and gave each patient a standardized score as to their functional independence and neurological status. One interesting statistical anomaly to note 
is that in both studies, the patients who were assigned to the normothermia group had higher rates of bystander-performed CPR. The p-value of the Australian study for this difference was 0.05, which is on the very cusp of statistical significance, but even with this higher rate of bystander CPR, it did not change the final conclusions of either study. In theory, a higher rate of bystander CPR should give an advantage to the normothermia group, since we know that bystander CPR is associated with lower mortality. So what were the results of these two studies? Both studies were positive and showed decreased mortality and better functional outcomes in patients who received therapeutic hypothermia. I could quote exact percentages, but that isn't that meaningful, and there is an easier way to remember this. The European study calculated a number need to treat of six patients to prevent one bad neurological outcome, and a number need to treat of seven patients to prevent one death. These are incredibly good numbers when you look at the number need to treat, or NNT, of some other interventions that we use in emergency medicine. For example, according to the website thennt.com, aspirin for myocardial infarction has an NNT of 42, and Plavix, or clopidogrel, for MI has an NNT of 23. To put this into slightly different terms, let's say that in the next year, you treat seven patients with therapeutic hypothermia. Of those seven patients, just about one patient will be saved from death, and another patient will be saved from a bad neurological outcome. Now, the statistics don't exactly work that way, but that's the way I like to think about this concept. So to wrap up the stats part of this study, a study in critical care medicine in 2005 pooled the results of these two studies together, and the benefit from therapeutic hypothermia was about the same. This is called a meta-analysis, which seeks to combine studies together to get a larger population of patients in order to draw stronger conclusions about the data. While some meta-analyses have dozens or even hundreds of studies in them, the fact that these two studies held up to the extra scrutiny is a good sign. As a side note, these studies only enroll patients with V-fib or pulses VTAC as their initial rhythm. So what about those few patients who you manage to save from asystole or pulses electrical activity arrest who are comatose? Studies that have looked at this question have failed to find a benefit for therapeutic hypothermia, but this is probably because these patients have a dismal prognosis to begin with. However, since therapeutic hypothermia has no associated risks and only benefit, the experts in the guidelines agree that any patient who is comatose after cardiac arrest, regardless of their initial rhythm, should get therapeutic hypothermia. So what is the bottom line for these two articles? The one thing that we need to keep in mind is that therapeutic hypothermia will not benefit the vast majority of patients who suffer cardiac arrest. In the European study, they assessed 3,551 patients for eligibility, and only 275 patients were enrolled in the study. That is only 8% of all patients with cardiac arrest who were treated by the ambulance services associated with the study. While I'm sure that a lot of those excluded patients were either unwitnessed arrests or arrests that should have never had CPR started on them anyway, that still leaves a lot of patients who won't benefit from this therapy. The only way to help those patients is to have more available bystander CPR and faster access to automatic external defibrillators, or AEDs. We also need to realize that as our population ages, we are being left with more patients whose hearts are too bad to keep going instead of younger patients whose hearts are too good to die. But that's a whole other discussion. 
These studies have provided us with a simple and inexpensive therapy with virtually no risk of harm that we can provide patients who arrive in the ED comatose after a cardiac arrest that can improve their survival and their neurological outcome. If you want the nitty-gritty details of how to do therapeutic hypothermia, go to the MCRIT podcast and you'll get the latest and greatest there. I'll post a link in the show notes. That's it for these two papers. Let me know what you think or suggest a paper to review by emailing me at steve at embasic.org or posting a comment on the website. Until next time, this is Steve Carroll for EM Basic Essential Evidence, signing off.